Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, will you please open them up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16 is the passage that we're going to be looking at. And while, while you're turning there, let us remind ourselves again what we've been going through this year. And we've mentioned it quite a bit this morning already. Uh, but we are, as a church, focusing on loving up, loving in, and loving out. And when we talk about loving up, we're talking about pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. Seeking Him, knowing that in Him there is life, there is nowhere else we can go. I think of the words of uh, Peter in John 6 when Jesus says, Will you two leave? And He says, Lord, where else can we go? There's eternal life in you and you alone. So there's this pursuing Him, knowing that there's life in Christ. But there's also this loving in, that we love each other, that we are unified together as a body of Christ, that we, uh, we get together, we love each other, there is comfort, there is care, there is the sense of unity amongst us as a body, but also that we love out, that we are the salt and light of the earth, that we not only are so inward focused, but that when we uh, love Christ wholeheartedly, when we seek him, we grow a heart like he had. And he said his primary pur- purpose was coming to save the lost. And so uh, we look at Christ and we see a heart of compassion as well. And we know that we too have a heart of compassion for people, for others outside this, wanting them to come and be a part of this body. Wanting them to come and be a part of what we have, knowing that we have life in Christ and we want them to have that life. Wanting them to know that there is love and there is comfort and and there is joy in the body of Christ and we desperately want them to have that as well. And so that's what we've been focusing on on so far this year. And And we see that in this part of the Sermon of the Mount that we've been going through. So we finished off the Beatitudes, but we're looking at salt and light last week. And we spoke about how we need to be salty salt. We are salt. It's just whether we got salt or we are saltless. And we spoke about the different ways in which salt was used in the ancient world. But particularly the one that is big is that it preserves uh, decaying meat. Uh, it stops meat from going rotten. They didn't have refrigerators, and so they would use uh, salt to stop the meat from rotting. And in the same way, Christ is saying, while the world is decaying around us, there is this need as uh, uh, Christians, as those who follow Christ, to, to be salt in a way that stops the decay of the world. That when we, we see the broken, when we see the hurting, when we see those who are homeless, we see the orphans, the widows, we are there as followers of Christ to stop it getting worse, to make sure that we are God's hands and feet. And this morning we, we move further uh, forward and we start to look at um, the passage we're going to read, that we are the light of the world. So if you've turned there, verses 14 and all the way to 16, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It goes as follows. You are the light of the world. Let's read that again. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives life to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Lord, we come before you this morning just wanting to uh, be obedient to you, 
You've uh, given us this amazing call on our lives to be salt and light, and I pray that you would stir in us as a church to do that. That, Lord, we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but doers. That you would help us, Lord, to go and be the light that you need us to be in this community that we find ourselves in, desperate, in darkness, and they need the light. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, you would help us to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have to convince you, I'm sure this morning, that we can say that the world is morally dark. We just have to drive down our streets, open up our news feeds on social media. We just have to look at the headlines in the Daily Dispatch, chat to our neighbors, to know that the world that we live in, the country that we live in, the province that we're in, the city that we're in, and even our suburb that we find ourselves in is in darkness. And so... There is this desire in us, or not desire, but there's this danger in us that we, we feel overwhelmed. We start to say things like, there's no hope for this country. There's no hope for the city. Things are bad. Things are not as good as they used to be. And, and we start to become pessimistic about it and, and to a point in which we just say, there is no hope. But the reality of the matter is that there is hope. And the hope that the Christ comes and says is that we shine out that hope. We are the light of the world. We bring lightness to darkness. We are the hope in which we are, uh, are, are, are needing to shine. There is this shining that needs to take place. But I want you to stop and just for a second, and we spoke about it last week as well, but I want you to be reminded of, of this, is who is Jesus talking to? Jesus isn't talking to kings and, and politicians. Jesus is talking to what the Jewish society would have deemed as average Joes. Guys who are fishermen, sinners, tax collectors, probably the worst of the worst. The rest of the world would have looked at the Jewish culture as a whole and deemed them as below average. And yet Jesus will turn to these average people and say to them, you are the light of the world. The whole world, not, not just Jerusalem, not just Israel, but you are the light of the world. You are the one that will go and bring hope to the rest of the world. And sometimes what can happen is we can feel hopeless. We can think there is no ways in which we can bring change. There is nothing in which we can do in to stop this darkness. But the reality of the matter is we are the light. We can bring hope. We saw a bunch of Average Joes 2,000 years ago who have changed the world so much that in the bottom of Africa 2,000 years later in a little suburb called Sunny Ridge, we are gathered here because of their light that they shone. And so there's this real need for us to understand that while we might feel inadequate when it comes to fighting against this darkness, that we are the hope in which we need to bring. We are, not, we are, we are the hope, we are the light that brings the hope, sorry. We are able to shine light into this community. And so Jesus uh, uses two imageries to show us how we are the light of the world. He uses the first uh, imagery of a city sit on a hill that cannot be hidden. And the second one he uses is a lamp inside of a house that gives light to all the room. And let us look at that uh, second imagery uh, there. It says this, Jesus says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And I think 
for us, those of you this morning who consider yourself Christian, you must take courage to know that you are the light of the world. Jesus isn't saying here that you must become the light of the world. He's not saying here this is something you need to grow in. He's not saying this is something you need to become better at or learn how to do. But rather he's saying you are the light. You are. There's nothing you have to do in order to have it. The, the question that we have as Christians is whether are we shining it or are we hiding it? Is it for all to see or is it hidden under a basket? That's the challenge that we have. The light is shining. So whether it is out for the room to be illuminated or is it under a basket that is being hidden. And that's challenging for us. But what I feel here that Jesus is saying, particularly in the second imagery of the lampstand in a room, I feel that this is a call for the individual. There's a call for an individual, for you, particularly you, to be the light. The danger is so that often is, is that we think of changing the world, we think of influencing the city, that we often give that responsibility to the leaders. Somebody else can do it. I can't do it, but man, they have the time, they have the energy, they have the ability to do it. But really the call here is for you individually to shine your light. And it's a unique call. It's a unique call for you to do it. No one else, but for you to shine your light. And the reason for that is this. I think one of the primary reasons for that is this, is that we as individuals rub shoulders with people in which I will never rub shoulders with. There are people that you will meet. There are people that you interact with, that you'll befriend, that the people that you will uh, do business with, uh, neighbors that you have, that I will never lay eyes on and they will never lay eyes on me. And so the call for to us to individually shine our light is really the call so that the light might go further than anything else if just one person was shining it. It's, it's the matter of there will be more people who are in darkness that will get to see the light. It's a matter of the glory of God, the glory of Christ. That there are more people that will be able to see His glory. There will be more people that will be able to understand that He has come to save them. There's this need for us as individuals to shine our lights. Primarily the reason is so that more people may be able to see it. But I think there's a second imagery here as well, and that is the one that Jesus says that you... A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And this is the first time as I was preparing for this, I started to realize this, and this struck me. I hadn't seen this before, and I've read this, and we've probably heard this spoken about so many times. But I was struck by the fact that the city cannot be hidden, but a lamp can be hidden. And I was wondering why. Why is it that a city can cannot be hidden, but a, a light can be hidden under a basket. And, and I felt the Lord say to me was that individually, when we are one shining, it's impossible that we can shine our own light, hide our own light. But a city does not consist of one light, does it? It consists of many. It consists of lots of lampstands in houses. And when we together as the body of Christ come together and we love in well, we start to take care of each other. We start to take care of one another's needs. We start to love each other, be hospitable towards each other, care for one another. When we do that, when we start to shine the light of Christ together, we are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
No matter how much the world tries to hide it, deny it, say it does not exist, defy it, it cannot be hidden. And so when we, as the Ridge Church, start to become individuals that come together, that love in well, that we decide to shine our light well, it doesn't matter what happens, the world will see that there is a light that shines, and it shines brightly. But you see, it's how important it is that each and every single one of us shine our lights. Because when there's a multitude of light, then there's a city. But when there is just a couple, man, that's just a farmstead. That's just a one household. But when we come together, church, unified, together, shining the light of Christ, those who are in the darkness will look out and see a city. Those who are in darkness that are desperate to be somewhere will see safety. They'll see provision. They'll see comfort. They'll see hope. They will know that's where I need to go. And we need to make sure that we shine our lights together. So there's this call here by Christ to do this as individuals because, man, you'll go places that I will never go. But also to do it together. Because when we do it together, the whole suburb is impacted. The side of the river is impacted. East London is impacted. Because they will see this church shining the light of Christ. But the question that we've got to ask ourselves this morning is, what, why are we the light? And what is this light that we shine, right? That's a good question. Why are we the light? And what is this light that we shine? The, the reason why we are the light church is this, is that we have Christ in us. That is primarily it at all. There is no hope in us. There is nothing in us outside of Christ. And the reason why we get to shine this light and the reason why we say we are the light of the world is Jesus says these words in John 8 verses 12. He says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we have the light of the world in us and therefore we reflect and shine that light and so we are the light of the world. Does that make sense? But I fear that when we hear Jesus say these words, that I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, we brush over it too quickly. It's, you, have, you haven't had to be in uh, church for long periods of time uh, to have had a discussion or heard this word preached on or thrown out there. Some of you might have even had I am the light of the world on a pen before, on a mug. It's one of those ones that's quite common. But we will miss exactly what Jesus is trying to say if we don't understand the context in which he is saying that light, this, this statement in. And so in order for us to understand the statement, we need to uh, see the context. And we see it in, in John 7, verses 37. John says uh, the words, this is the last day of the feast. So Jesus says these words on the last day of the feast of the tabernacle. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacle was a, a feast that was uh, celebrated by the Israelites um, to remember and uh, uh, be reminded of the greatness of God, his deliverance, and his uh, providence for them in the wilderness. So when they left Egypt and were going off to the promised land, those 40 years that they spent in the desert, in the wilderness, um, they 
remembering how God was with them and how he provided them. And they called it a Feast of the Tabernacles because they spent time in tents in the wilderness. And so during those seven days of the festival, they would spend time in tents. They would literally camp on top of their roofs and on their property because they were just, that's what part of the festival was. And it was a, a massive celebration. They would come together uh, at the temple in a court called the Women's Court. Uh, and there were, in this women's court, there were galleries that would cover all around the whole area that people could sit in and look down into the court and the activity that would happen. And in the middle of the court, they would put these massive, massive lights, four of them, that were so huge and, light and bright that they were said that it would light up every other court in the whole of Jerusalem. So you've got to understand the brightness of these lights that were shining. And under these lights that were shining, the, uh, the wise men and the, uh, the holy men would come together and they would just start to have a party. They would dance and sing and praise God and sing hymns and, and this would go and the people in the gallery who were watching would join in and they would praise God and they would just worship him because of his deliverance, because of his uh, greatness, because of his provision for them. And they would do this all the, way, all the way through the night until the cock crowed in the morning. The first cock would crow and they would know, okay, it's time to go to bed. And they would do this every single night, just praising God. But the lights inside of the middle of this court weren't just fancy lights just because of decorations like sometimes we do with fairy lights. It wasn't that kind of a thing. The lights had a, represent, had a meaning to it. And the meaning that it had, these lights would represent God in the, um, in the wilderness. And God was displayed in the wilderness primarily for the people of Israel in the, in the cloud. And the cloud it was a cloud that covered about two or so million Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. A massive cloud that covered their camp and it would move and stop. It would give them shade from the harsh desert sun. And it was understood that God was in this cloud. But by night, what would happen was this cloud that was there would turn into a fiery pillar. And it would give warmth in the cold uh, deserts. It would give light to the whole camp so everyone could see. And it was understood that God was in this cloud. And so when people saw this light that was burning in the middle of this festival, it represented God. And on the last day of the festival, what would happen was they would come along and they would turn off the lights. They would turn off the lights. No, no, there's no light switch, so I don't know how they managed to turn them off. It must be quite an effort. But they, they would get these lights down. They would turn it off. And in comparison to what the light that was shining through the whole of Jerusalem, it would must have felt like utter darkness. And it's on the last day of the festival that as they're about to turn these lights off, as they're about to go into utter darkness, that Jesus will stand up in front of everyone and say, I am the light of the world. I, I am the light. He's saying, I am God. As God delivered you from Egypt, so I will come and deliver you from sin. As God provided you with manna for 40 years, so I will provide for you. As God protected you from the harsh desert, son, I am your protector. As God comes and delivers you into the promised land, I will deliver you into my kingdom. This is what Jesus was saying. I am your hope. I am, your, I am the one that you need to come to. I am God. And so church, when we say that we are light of the world, what we come and do is that we come and shine the light of Christ and point people to him saying, there is your hope. There is your, there is your security. 
There is your protection. There is your provision. There in that man, Jesus. We do not shine the light and make draw us, us to ourselves. What does light do? It illuminates. It doesn't draw attention to itself. But it makes light on something else. And so we as light do not say, look at me. But we'll, no, look what I'm shining on. I'm shining on Christ. I'm shining on him. And so primarily the way in which we shine our light is by pointing to Christ and showing that he is the hope that they need. That the world is lying to you when they say it knows where life is. No, it doesn't. It is in Christ. The world says, I can give you protection. No, it can't. It is only in Jesus. The world says, come and follow this. This will provide for you. Trust in money. No, trust in God. He is your provider. That's how we shine our lights. It's by speaking the truth that Jesus is this. But what's important for us to realize this is done duly in two ways. And we have to get this. Is that it's done through our action. Man, it says, Jesus says these words right at the end. And to, just so that you understand that action is there. He says, that they may see your good works. So we display hope. We display security. We display provision through our action. We can't just speak. Oh man, saying to the poor person on the side of the road, God bless you, I will pray for you, doesn't work. We have to do action. We have to be involved to be at this light. So important for us. But at the same time, it is, comes with words of truth. There needs to be speaking that comes with the way we tell people about Christ. Church, the world will not know Jesus unless we speak. Romans 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. We have to speak. Now, I was reading commentaries as I was preparing for this, and one of the commentators talks about a lady that was a part of his church that decided that she was never going to tell people about Christ. She was just going to show them through their actions. And she did this for seven years, and after seven years, someone came up to her and says, there's something different in you. And she got all excited. It's finally worked. And he said, I think you're a vegan. <laughs> oh, man. There's a school of thought that there's two schools of thought that argue against each other. Some say, no, you must do action and man speak when necessary. Others say, no, that you must speak and now and again do the action. No, no, no. Christ has called us to be the salt and he's called us to be the light. We are called to stop the world and stop its decay and to help others. But we also to speak light, to break into it, to speak the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. We need to be both. We can't be one or the other. We have to be both. We have to do this. And so the challenge that I have as I've been preparing for this this week is asking the question for myself, because this is something that we have to ask individually. How am I doing? Really challenged by the Lord on this. But also, as, as the acting pastor of Sunny Ridge, I'm asking, well, how are we doing as a church? How are we being as salt and light? Man, are we doing well in this? And the, one of the ways to be able to tell whether or not we've been an effective, are we salty or are we a, and we are a city on a hill shining brightly, is to ask the question, if we had to close today, would, this, would the community around us, would they miss us? Would they be worse off? And I'm afraid the answer is probably no. They probably wouldn't. 
Besides those of you who live in the area that come to here, you might miss us. But would the hurting be? I doubt it. Would the hungry be? Probably not. And man, that is why I'm so excited when I hear things about our ladies' ministry that met on, on Saturday going, we want to do something. We see the desolate and we want to help. We, we know that winter's coming and they're going to be cold, so we wanted to give our old jerseys and our old jackets away. We wanted to be salt to this community. Man, we're going to start this cupboard that we're going to bring food towards. We want to do that. That's exciting. Man, we, we're having this discussion at Bible study on Thursday night, and, and Peter asked the question with everyone, what is, how's God challenging you to be salt? And we went around and we got to Jo. She's not here this morning. I wish she was. And she said, man, I have a heart to feed people in this community. See, the, particularly the children. She just wants to, so we, I, I just want to feed them. I just want them to be full. What can we do? And we thought, well, man, let's start off small. Let's just, let's just start a soup kitchen. And, 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 and there's gonna, she's going to head that up. She's gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to sit down and chat with her. Um, and man, she's gonna, we're going to do something. We're going to be salt. I was trying to think of cool names for, for a soup kitchen. I thought salty soup kitchen probably wouldn't go down well. <laughs> salty soup, no thanks, I won't have. Um, oh, but man, there's, there's this call to be salt church. And, and we might go, what is a couple of soup going to do to someone? What's it going to be? Church, it's not about us. It's about reflecting and doing what Christ has called us and let him do the rest. We will be faithful and he will decide how much it goes and how big it will grow. But if we do that, we are faithful. And that's what we're called to do. That's a faithful church. Now, man, we, there's still details that have to come around this. My mother runs a ministry called Love in Action in Ganubi, and they started out by serving soup, and now they have a big warehouse full of clothes that they give away, and they create jobs, and they do a whole bunch of things, but soup was their starting point. So I'm going to sit down with her and go, Ma, tell us how to do this. And I promise, I'm going to make a promise this morning that we're going to have details for you by the end of this month. We're going to do this, because church, I am just aware that we can be hearers of the word and not doers. We can sit here and talk about how we are salt and light and, and how we do this and God's called us to that, but we actually don't do it. And we're going to do this. And so my request of you is to pray this week. Are you going to be involved in this? And this is, a, this is an opportunity we're going to do as a church. This is a ministry that we're going to run. Are you going to be involved? And you can say no to me, that's fine. But then how also are you going to be salty and light? Because if you go, man, soup kitchen and, and giving away jackets is not for me, but I have, a, I have a heart for the orphanage down the road. Man, go ahead. Start. Go. I, I, I have a, a place for those in old age homes. Man, let's do it. Let's go for it. But don't lay it off. Do not be salty that is saltless. Salt that is saltless. Do not be a light that is hidden under a basket. Because Jesus says, it may as be thrown out and, and trampled under people's feet. We are useless otherwise. Two weeks ago, I preached on Ephesians 3, just as a bit of a break. And we spoke about this massive prayer that Paul prayed. And he ends off, these word, ends off in, in, in Ephesians 3, verses 21, I think. And he says, 
He is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. And we look at this community and we go, this is bad. It's, it's rough. The desolation is more than we can do. There's more people around you than we can, we can handle. But church, if he has called us to this and we pray that he will help us to be the salt that this community needs, that we will be the light this community needs, he is able to do far more than we abundantly ask or think. And remember I said, it is vastly more than vastly more than we ask or think. So let's pray big prayers. Let's dream big. Because we can do something. So pray this week. Let the Lord stir in your heart. How are you being salt and light? Because we've got to do something. And we're going to do it. Are you, going to, are you going to join us? Are you going to join us? Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you have come and rescued us. Oh man, that in Christ we have salvation. That we were once hopeless, but we have found hope. That we were once abandoned, but we have found a home. That we were once orphans, but now we are in a family. We have a God who provides for us and cares for us. A protector, a savior, a friend, a father. All because of what you have done for us, Christ. And so, Lord, we are challenged this morning by this idea of being salt and light. Oh, Lord, forgive us if we have been saltless. Forgive us if we have been a church that has not shined our light, but we have hidden them under baskets. And we, but we pray this morning that you would forgive us, but you would empower us with your spirit. Lord, today is Pente uh, Pentecost. We just remember that your spirit came forth and so that we might go out into all Jerusalem to T.S. Mary and to the ends of the earth. It's not by our strength, but the power that you give us. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to glorify Christ in a way that is undeniable in this community. Moving us, we pray. We are a bunch of average Joes, but you've always used the weak. You've always used the poor. You've always used those who can't do it to show that you can. So use us, we ask. We ask this for your glory and for the sake of those in whom we can serve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.